Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 335, Board Game Hotness for August 2021. We like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Well, welcome back, everyone. We are so glad for you to join us this week. We are talking about Board Game Geek's Super Red Hotness for 2021. And games are getting a little more hot, a little more rare, and a little more expensive because of everything that's going on with the board game industry with the shipping prices and the wood prices and everything out there. So picking out the best games this season is going to be a little different, a little special, a little more challenging than usual, I think, Anthony. What do you? What about you? Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Uh, I, I mean, I'm moving, so I don't really <laughs> care what my local game store is doing, but they sent out an email the other day being like, all of these companies are raising their prices, so we have to increase the prices by 15% on everything. So buy it before the end of the month. Oh my God. So I was like, well, thanks for warning us. Um, (laughs) And it's basically everything. Like everything's going up in price next month. Um, At least here. I don't know. That's crazy. But it's, yeah, it's shipping prices. It's production costs. Like these companies are going to start losing money and they're not big companies, most of them. So if they start losing money, they're just going to shut down and then we don't have games anymore. So if you want to support them, you got to pay more. It's also weird too. I mean, I think that's, I think it's something everyone should look at it, at least if you live in the US, how you get the things that, that you purchase in your life, like whether it's food or just everyday kind of things, how like you get things, for example, you know, kind of like, or like, I, I guess online, I have like the, how something's produced in like South America and then goes to like Asia to be assembled and packaged and then shipped to the US. So for whatever reason, the labor is cheaper than the, you know, ocean odyssey that it takes to get you the product, <laughs> right. which is just mind boggling. If you said to someone like, you know, that supply chain, you'd be like, no, you make it right. You know, you make it local and it's going to be infinitely cheaper instead of putting on shipping things across the countries and the worlds and stuff. And just so board games are no different, unfortunately. I think that's going to be a thing i mean we're seeing that on kickstarter a lot too a lot of the kickstarters have like come in and said hey we need to charge you an extra five bucks because of the shipping costs and things are just bumping up and i mean this could strangely enough this might be the thing that actually gets or you know hurts kickstarter finally because i mean i don't know about you anthony but just when i back a game on kickstarter i'm almost always paying either msrp or close to msrp and even if I'm not paying MSRP, I'm paying shipping, which I almost never do because I buy board games in like $100 slots. So, you know, usually when you get from the board game stores online, the shipping's free. So they got me there, but paying shipping online has really stopped me from purchasing a lot of games that I normally would purchase, $30, $40 in some cases just for shipping. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's going to go up, you know, like... I and here's the thing too. I think we're going to see less Kickstarters in general. Like uh, one of the Kickstarters that I had flagged that was supposed to launch in the next couple of weeks is it's just an expansion for Mini Express, which I did a review mm-hmm. on here a few weeks ago, and I love that game. And I was like, "Ooh, new maps!" And they sent out a thing saying we're going to delay the Kickstarter by nine to twelve months because we can't afford the shipping. It's just it, wow. there's no way to make it viable as a company. It, the production is too expensive. We're already way behind because of the delays in production and. You know, mostly the shipping issue. So it was, and people are like, 
makes sense. You know, you don't want to go bankrupt making a thing if it's cheaper just to sit there and do nothing, you know, sell yeah. the stuff you have. Um, for us, though, as as fans of the hobby, we're like, man, where's all the stuff? You know, and, <laughs> and when it does show up, why does it cost twice as much? Yeah. Um, and it's, I don't know, like they're saying this will last for another year, probably, because it's, you know, it's like a traffic jam, right? Everybody stops on the highway. The problem could clear out, but it takes an hour for that the traffic to start moving normally again because that's just how when there's no momentum, and so that's what the problem right now. Like, yeah, things are getting back to normal-ish, knock on wood, with all the changes going on with COVID right now. But things are getting back to normal-ish, but it's still going to take months and months, possible years, to actually get things moving again. And uh, in the meantime, more expensive board games. You know, it's funny too, because even Amazon, which is, oh, and I have Prime, it's one of those things where it's always like, Amazon, usually nine times out of 10, when they say you're going to get it, you're going to get it. And this is like the first time that products have actually been delayed. Shipping has been delayed. And it says, you know, you know, weather issues, you know, it's kind of like cataclysmic uh, climate change floodings which we we're seeing currently around the world in a lot of places or fires or droughts or stuff like that and it's just it's it's really coming home you know it's all those those challenges and those things i mean everything was like on a nice edge and now we're having those situations so i I think we're going to see a lot more of that i know if you're trying to buy a house or you're trying to buy a car those are almost impossible to find these days and wood costs are super high right now. So buying lumber to build or to make board games is incredibly expensive. So those things are going to go up as well. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how they really adjust to that kind of situation. Other than, like you said, they, they, there's like a gap year. Maybe there's not a lot of stuff produced this year. And then hopefully shipping kind of takes care of itself. Or maybe eventually we get to a point where... I don't know, maybe 10 years in the future, everyone just has a 3D printer and just like, cool, I'm buying that board game. And you just like produce it on your Uber, you know, 3D printer that just like does the best job in the world. And you're like, cool, I have made the things, right? Because, I mean, that's what's going to have to happen, right? Shipping costs are getting crazy and such. Right. I mean, it's going to be an interesting convention season too, because I know every year we go to conventions, there's always a limited supply of games that you can pick up. And nine times out of 10, again, they usually tell you that like shipping was an issue. They had to fly a bunch of games over. They only have a limited supply. So what happens this year with yeah. Gen Con and Origins? Like what happens? How did, how did they get these games here? I mean, you know, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, a lot of the big companies that typically do that and can afford to do it aren't going. So I know like the small companies in particular they're just not going to have games maybe, or they won't have their newest games. And that would stink on top of paying for a booth at one of those places. Yeah. And a lot of the people are still going to Gen Con and origins despite the pandemic and all the concerns there. So there's going to be a lot of fans showing up, but they might be showing up for a lot less, you know, purchase possibility or potential for the fair. I mean, certainly, like you said, a lot of the big companies are not coming, but even the smaller ones probably are not going to have, you know, the revenue stream to be able to afford to bring tons of stuff out and stuff sells out of cons. If you've never been to a board game convention before things do sell out. Like we could tell you stories left and right about like, we'll be right back. And then next thing you know, the booth is empty. I think, uh, I think the one I remember most 
you know, dramatically was Root, right? I think Leader Games oh, yeah. literally sold out of everything, not just Root, but like their their stall was like stripped down. There was like yeah. nothing. <laughs> Guys, like, like, I have nothing Saturday to morning too. So like all the rest of Saturday, then all day Sunday, they're just like, "What's up?" <laughs> and they were not happy because I mean, even though they sold all their product, obviously now they paid for all those days. Now they have literally nothing to do. Yeah. They can't sell any more products. So it had to kill them. It's a gamble, right? You bring product to a show, you bring too much, you paid all that shipping, you bring too little, then you didn't maximize your time at the convention. Sounds like a board game, but it's actually what happens. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be an interesting convention session. And obviously now that we're getting into August, uh, we're getting geared up for a lot of those big conventions that are happening soon. And hopefully a lot of you are safely getting gaming to the table. So We'll be talking about Board Game Geek's hottest games so that hopefully you pick the right ones, the most cost-effective ones, and and have an enjoyable time at the table because that's what board gaming is all about. So, Anthony, before we get on to the fun board game stuff, as the summer has, you know, grown on, obviously the board game industry is not the only one that's crushed or at least pushed back by the pandemic and everything else that's occurred. So is the movie industry, um there's no marvel stuff this week yeah (laughs) Yeah, mostly everybody um so space jam a new legacy came out it was a thing a long time ago (laughs) and it came back yep Uh, i don't know why but they decided to bring it back out so you and i saw it um i know we both really liked loki i know you were kind of higher up on black widow than i was um space jam a new legacy are you down so here's the thing about space uh-huh. jam uh a that new movie legacy. came out a new oh, legacy but also the okay. original which came out when i was like 12 or something like that and i loved it because michael yeah. jordan was the coolest person on the planet and yeah. cartoons and looney tunes whatever i wasn't quite old enough to think it was too silly right and so i have a hard time separating my nostalgia from that movie i know it's not good objectively i've seen it recently i watch it with the kids and i know it's not a good movie but i still like it it's still fun yeah a new legacy bastardizes that formula so much that there is no nostalgia i don't care there's nothing nothing leaks through from the 90s version even the looney tunes parts they just didn't work whoever wrote those jokes they're not funny so it's (laughs) cynical it's kind of gross with all the corporate stuff mixed in yeah, uh, it's full of references that make no sense to children. I know that it's because true. I watched it with my children and they asked me constantly throughout the movie, what's that from? What's that from? And I'm like, that's the Matrix. That's Game of Thrones. That's Clockwork Orange. You can't watch <laughs> any of those things. <laughs> um, Jack's like, what's with the nun? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I listened to a podcast. Apparently, it's some freaky it's horror, horror movie. movie from the 60s. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Who is this movie for? Yeah. So no, I don't like it. I think it's terrible. Um my kids liked it though. Fine. I mean my daughter liked it a lot, but she's six. And so yeah. flashing lights and basketball, it's fine. But oh my god. I yeah, what is what is this? What is <laughs> it's a bad movie. <laughs> well, all I want to say is they made a bad a very bad Space Jam movie, and I took it personally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you watch, was it The Last Dance, the documentary? Yeah. That's a very good documentary to like. Whether or not you like Michael Jordan or you like basketball, I recommend that documentary because it's you really get a look into like 
kind of like the ultimate athlete and but really yeah. what mentally motivates him which is so scary <laughs> like <laughs> he like the stuff that goes on in his head you want no part of what goes on in his head like he completely fabricates whole situations to get motivated to crush a, an opposing team and you're just like dude i know <laughs> <laughs> he's like the movie starts out he's like michael jordan he likes to gamble he likes to play games i'm like oh cool i like to play games i play games with michael jordan and you're, by the time the end the documentary ends you're like dude i just need to walk away from this guy i want no part of what it goes on so yeah i i didn't look looney tunes the the reason why they've been so eternal was Again, again, whoever was the writers, and I know you know Mel Blanc and a lot of the other people that were involved, but there was just something about their work, their cartoons that were better than almost. I think they were better than every other cartoon in the fact that their longevity and how they they connected with generation after generation. When you watch this Space Jam movie, you see all these other references, but Looney Tunes stayed you know relevant on some level because they were timeless. And then you watch this movie and I feel like I'm watching like one of those like really bad, you know, cheap slap together parody movies. That's just like you said, it's a bunch of references that kids would never understand or ever get in any kind of context. That's not what Looney Tunes was. They never did that. They never did that. And this was so bad. And like you said, the the, the references, the makeup, the, the, the performances were terrible. It was it I, I I was so bad. I just like you said. I'm a little. I'm older than you a bit. So I watched Space Jam. I didn't have as much nostalgia to it, but I was like, "Cool, Looney Tunes," and you know, it, this should be fun. And I love basketball's awesome. And I was just like, "Oh, this is bad. It's getting worse. It's still bad. It's even worse. Why? Why? Why are you doing these things? I don't like yeah. make a kids movie. I would have been happy if it was just a stupid kids movie. Like, yes, that's, that's fine. the first that was, one. The yeah. first one's a stupid kids movie. And they have the grown up reference that they throw in there. Like, here's Bill Murray. We'll make a couple Bill Murray jokes, but they're subtle. And it's yeah. still funny. It's still funny in context. You know, like a Khaleesi joke or Granny doing the Matrix, they're not funny. And the kids they're are like, what? Who wrote? I mean, there's such old rated R references that kids would never get. Like, even when Bill Murray's in that other movie, he's making kind of like kid dumb reference, you know, like jokes and yeah. stuff like that. Or um, Newman from Seinfeld, who's in that movie, yeah. gets like flattened and stuff. But he's not doing Seinfeld jokes, no. you know, like that kids wouldn't get. I mean, he's just playing a regular character and just like, oh, my God, it was so disappointing. It was so it was now yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. Uh, anyhow. So, uh, yeah, a lot of disappointment that that's that's the worst. Oh, man. So at least we got other things to look forward to. So hopefully you're. Uh, your summer viewing stuff will be a little bit better moving forward. Oh, I did want to mention, and I this came out a little while ago, and I, you and I haven't talked about anything. I'll just mention ever so briefly. The uh, Bo Burnham, uh, I don't know if you would call it a documentary or would you call it a performance? Did you happen to see that? I, I did, yeah. I, I guess you'd call it performance art, really. Performance I mean, art, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's comedy. So you could it's call it a comedy special also but it's it's not really any of those things it's just it is what it is right yeah it's like an like an like artistic piece comedy performance performance art right performance art yeah i think that works yeah yeah inside it's on netflix now 
I've liked some of his comedy, but I was never like, I never jumped or watched any of his stuff in particular. And I got to a point at some point where I, I think I was like him, like everybody else, where you were so like, we're inside of so long, we'll watch this too. And it's actually really good and very smart. And there's some, yep. and there's some pieces in there that honestly just really blew me away with how brilliant they really were. I was just like, some stuff was good. Some stuff was, but some stuff just went above and beyond. I, I'm again, <laughs> I know that everyone loved him and I kind of liked him, but I, I got to give everybody credit. He was, that was phenomenal. There were some parts yeah. there. I was jealous. Cause I, you know, I was in lockdown for a year <laughs> and my brain turned to mush, like literal goop. Yeah. And he's apparently like, it elevates him to another level of comedy. You're like, man, it's not cool. <laughs> like, it's great. It's dark. It's deep. It's yeah. funny. It's, it's scary in some contexts. It's really existential <laughs> and um, it's very personal. So yeah. I would say, I mean, that's been the most recent thing that I know it's been out everywhere. His music has been everywhere. All eyes on me, but there's other parts too. Sako, Sako is the best. Love Sako. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> but even the, the thing about white women on Instagram, that was great. And the video <laughs> yeah. game one, when he's doing the video game walkthrough and he's like, it's basically like, what would a video game walkthrough been, been like with through COVID, you know, basically can't leave the house and crying all the time, you know? But um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. And even like he did like the review of a review, like basically when we review stuff and he reviewed it over and over. So it gets like super meta, but no, I thought that inside was pretty great. I thought there was like some really great moments to it. Some stuff is a little slow and out there, but um yeah no i i think it's it's worth your time especially some of those segments but that's the non-board gaming stuff anthony let's get to the board gaming stuff and let's get to stuff that our listeners are talking about what's our question of the week all right question of the week this week what games have the biggest gap between the promise of the cover and the mechanics in the box so my example for this is always any game with plants it's always bright and sunny and cheerful. And then you play the game and you're just trying to destroy each other. <laughs> uh, Petrichor is, is my number one for this, for this, before we dive into the listeners answers, sure. because the, the cover is beautiful. And there's like these raindrops and it's a beautiful spring day. And the game is literally just about like knocking each other's stuff off of the board. Like just, it's so cutthroat. It's one of the most cutthroat games I've ever played. Um, but you wouldn't guess it from the cover. And I'm sure lots of people you would not by that. So uh, good answers here from uh, all of our listeners. Thank you to anybody who wrote in. Uh, Jeffrey says, Agricola looks like a game where you raise some gentle sheep and grow a tidy garden. Instead, you ruthlessly slaughter Fluffy for your clay oven in a futile attempt to stave off starvation. Nice. Yep. <laughs> there Spot you go. On. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, Andrew says, whenever I bring out Lords of Waterdeep, no one is expecting a cube pusher based on the cover. Yeah, sure. I, I've gotten this one before too. People think it's going to be a Dungeons and Dragons game, and it's like, no, it's a Euro. Can I add to the fact to, that you know, basically, those cubes never come back? So you send all these people on missions, but they're cannon <laughs> fodder. They never come back. It's just like, hey, what happened to the adventuring party? They never came back. <laughs> like, no adventuring party never comes back. So yeah, yeah, it's like the world's worst GM. Everybody dies. <laughs> It's like send them on a mission. They're not coming back, dude. Suicide squads. That's basically what it is. Soul yeah, suicide yeah. squads. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Michael says Dogs of War. Uh, just looks like it's going to be a steampunk version of Kemet or Blood Rage. It's actually a stock manipulation and worker placement game. Uh, oh, yeah. I can vouch for that. I've played Dogs of War with Michael. I actually avoided this for a while, playing it with Michael, because <laughs> it looks like another... 
Kemet or Blood Rage. And I'm like, I'm good. But I'm like, no, it's actually very good. Simon <laughs> uh, not knowing their audience. Um, Antoine, he, he hits the low-hanging fruit here. Root, cute and friendly oh, critters sure. versus a disguised cutthroat and war game. Um, it's true. It's true. That's Root is the big one. Yep. Uh, a different note, he mentions roads and boats. The cover suggests a tale, an adventure of a donkey, seen from the perspective of a child. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like... <laughs> Cran art, right? On the cover. Yeah, yeah. And it's really a logistics simulation game. So it's, it's very economic driven. Um, and then last one here, Brian mentions It's a Wonderful World. Uh, so it's a glorious cover, promises thematic dystopian world, but inside it's really just a themeless engine builder, which he likes. He, he mentions he likes it quite a bit, but it's okay. they, they put a lot of money into the artwork and then the mechanics are pretty bland. Um, so yeah. I, lots of good answers to that. I think this happens a lot. A lot of people, you know, the, the artwork goes in a different direction. Maybe then the mechanics are not really reflective. Sure. One that I've had on my shelf forever that I always look at is Chaos Ball. Because, like, <laughs> the cover, like, it's you make it, it looks like a sports game, right? And there's miniatures and you're attacking mm-hmm. each other. And it's it's a pure Euro. Like, it's <laughs> like if you if sure. you want sports. And then you get, like, different packs that come with it. And, again, it's just, it's, uh, like, faction-based area control type of thing i do we should actually do a whole episode there's so many like bait and switch games i think there's definitely a good there's definitely a top 10 list in here i mean i mean first there's all the colonization games that they don't say colonization on the cover and then you get into it and you're like oh cool i mastered i massacred an indigenous people Yeah. yeah and you're like was that an indigenous people that I massacred? Was that, is that, did I steal the resources? Is that what I did? My bad. Yeah. I didn't know I was doing that. You're just like, Ugh. so I just went to this space and the space looks empty and I just find things. And some of those things, things are clothing. <laughs> How did I find clothing? Oh, okay. I guess on the lighter side, there's games where the cover certainly gives a, a rosy appearance to a devastating, painful Euro game. So uh, games like Food Chain Magnet that has yeah. this super cool 1950s hip kind of thing. And you're like, awesome, we're going to sell burgers. And you get into the game, you're like, I just want to die. How much? How many more hours? <laughs> Two more hours? I want to Like you, there's literally a part in Food Chain Magnet, like halfway through, you decide how much more money, like money goes into the bank. Like how much more, how long, how much more longer the game's going to go. And like almost always when I play that game, and I love it, but almost always I'm like, let's make this short. I can't, I can't keep doing this. Um, I guess the other one would probably be Feudum, which again has this very mm. spirited, artistic, beautiful, Dixit kind of world to it. And then you get in and it's a heavy Euro and it's, it's area control. And you look at the box again, you're like, wait a minute, is this, is this, is this, this is, this is this. And it's just like, ugh. I did not expect that. Uh, I guess for the family, Small World, which is this really mm-hmm. beautiful, cute, artsy cartoon game that's basically about wiping out the other races and especially wiping out the indigenous people <laughs> that are just trying no. to die out. No, you know, it's like that. No. <laughs> and it's kid friendly, kids. So, yeah, but I, I, I let's look. If we did a top 10, which we're basically doing a top 10 without doing a top 10. I feel like this is like a TikTok. Do a top ten without doing a top ten. Isn't isn't the isn't the best one Clue, right? Because when you hear about Clue, you're like, oh, cool, let's do a mystery. And as a kid, you're like, oh, a mystery's fun. It's like, cool, 
who who died where did they die and by what means like what thing did they die by were they bludgeoned to death were they stabbed were they choked to death and, and as a kid you're just like should i be playing this i feel like i shouldn't <laughs> be playing this i feel like i needed an adult why this no i no this is uh no so yeah that that's that's certainly a thing so yeah i think there's a lot of games like that unfortunately so there's yeah. no there's no truth in boxes let's say that way or oh wait, wait a minute another one um dominant species right <laughs> yeah like that's a good one yeah. i mean it, it i mean there's no kind of like inverse like dominant species i mean i get it like the emotion of it is like you are kicking each other really hard but whew, you look at that box cover and you're like ameritrash and you play the board game and you're like this is like even for euro games this is a euro <laughs> this is a euro games euro game for some reason <laughs> that's crazy all right if you'd like to join us and we would love for you to join us please hit us up on facebook twitter question a week are there each and every week we would love to hear your answer to those questions so even though the day is over we will still check those out and respond to them so hit us up and let us know and again all of our social medias you know the things the instagrams the patreon.com that supports the podcast and of course facebook twitter and one of my favorites, YouTube, right? Because right now, you could be watching us in person. Hey, this is me waving. You can't hear waving on the podcast, but there's actually a YouTube thing that we're doing now. So uh, please support us uh, on YouTube because uh, for two introverts to be on camera is kind of a Herculean task. So we really appreciate your subscriptions over there as well. All right, everyone. So that's what's going on with you out there. Anthony, what's going on with us? What's our acquisition disorders? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to keep mine pretty simple this week. Um, not Nothing really big popped up. Kickstarter's been kind of dead. So uh, it's saving me money, which I'm happy about. But this game does look cute, and I'm interested in it. It's called Dice Miner. Uh, it's from Atlas Games. And designers Joshua DeBonis and Nicola Rosteski. And it's a dice drafting game. It looks fairly simple. It was on Kickstarter at some point. And I know it's available now, some places at least. My local store has a copy. Um, that's, that's where I saw it. And so the idea in the game is you're going to take your dice and you're going to roll them all together. And then there's like this mountain, like this physical 3D mountain that comes in the box that holds the mm -hmm. dice, like kind of in a vertical sure. uh, way. And that's how you draft them. You draft them based on what's available at the top of this mountain. So... It's dice drafting, but it adds kind of like a, almost like a mahjong-y type of element. Like you can take what's available based on, you know, its location in the vertical space. Um, and that's really the, the spin on the game. <laughs> you know, there's no like, uh, there's no like crazy heavy mechanics here. It's, it's like a 2.0 weight, which is probably a little high considering what it is. But you're drafting the dice. You're trying to add them to your own personal hoard. Um and there's like a little bit of a push your luck element there in terms of like when you pull the dice and what kind of combos you build because certain things have to have a certain number of dice that you pull in. Uh, but it's quick. It's like 20 to 30 minutes. It seems very kid-friendly. Like I think my kids would like this. If I had not, if, again, if you're watching the video, behind me right now is about 70% of my board game collection in boxes. So the other 30% in the other room in boxes. Uh, if I had not already done that, and if I wasn't leaving in a week, this might be one I'd pick up and check out with the kids. Um, mm -hmm. But as it is, I put it on my list, and we'll circle back to it in a month or two. Uh, but yeah, Dice Miner, Atlas Games, uh, looks interesting, and I'm um, eager to check it out. Yeah, custom dice is always a huge plus. 
And press your luck has always been one of those mechanics that I would never go out of my way to pick or want to play. But for some yeah. reason, I do quite well in them and I actually enjoy them. And I'm like, I keep going, like trying to go back to like a, a piece of paper. I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> and then like press your, it worked. Damn it. You know? So <laughs> I can't explain it. I really can't. I just, just like, yeah, should not, it's, should not be a thing I like, but it, I do. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And they're almost always short. Right. So it's like, even if sure. you bust in this type of game, like, yeah, it takes 20 minutes. So you're like, Oh, that failed. Well, let's try it again. Or I'll do it again next time. Like it doesn't matter as much, you know, if you push too far, then break. Because you know that you're pushing too far. You know you've made that decision. It's not like, oh, I rolled the dice and I got messed up. It's like, no, I That's chose true. to do that. That was dumb. I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's, you know, like the zombie dice or those right. alien dice where it's just like you roll tanks, then you have to roll these the spaceships. And then, and then every once in a while, you're like, I got to go for it. And you're just like you said, you know what you're doing going in is not a good idea. But the yeah. dice, you know the dice kind of play with you because it's it's when you need the number and you just roll for it it's like the dice are working against you but like you know the odds and you roll the dice anyway and you're like almost daring the dice like i know you're gonna screw me but go ahead let me let me see you do it and it's almost there's some satisfaction to that you're right anthony there really is like something fun and interesting about like you know knowing the odds and just pushing it anyway and daring the Daring everything, and when it comes out your way, you're like, "I, I okay, <laughs> that should not have worked." Oh <laughs> uh, man, I played I'm on a board game arena one time. I played, uh, I, I think it was, I think it was Martian dice, and I mistakenly clicked the button to roll certain dice, and it should have totally failed, and it ended up winning me the game. And everyone like looked at you know on the board. They were like, "Why? Why did you do that?" I'm like, "I don't know. It did the thing and the thing and it did the thing." What happened? (laughs) I'm just like, it was like, okay, that that worked. All right, all right. Well, the opposite of that is the new expansion that we've been talking about for quite some time. This is on Mars: Alien Invasion by Vitalis Serta and Ian O'Toole. Um, one of our, if not our favorite designer, and one of our, if not our favorite artist in board gaming. So having them both back together again for On Mars, this expansion, is pretty fantastic. We've talked about this along the way. I think initially uh, this was going to be Surviving Mars, and they switched it up. And I think they did a, you know, I think it was a good decision because yeah. they really wanted to feature the alien invasion part of this. And the artwork from Ian O'Toole, who usually does a very, like, toned down effect on, like, his people and the situations and the background, which are very nice, very stylish, but never are really dramatic. Here, you get a little drama, at least on the cover. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit of that bait and switch kind of thing again, too, where where the cover looks, like, really dramatic and, like, eerie. And then the board game itself is just kind of a straight up Euro. So... (laughs) so if you know straight up euros are eerie to you for some particular reason i i think this is this is your you know your bowl wax now this expansion's a little different we've talked about these types of expansions in the past and i think it's something to take a look at on our episode 333 if you haven't listened to it it's the top 10 board game expansion types 
And I think that's one of my favorite episodes recently because that's something you should know, that there are certain different types of expansions that are not all the same. This one is, of course, not, you know, not a typical kind of expansion. This one is kind of like the one I would put in the, the area of like modules because they listed out as four different chapters that you can play. The first chapter is one versus many, where one player plays the aliens kind of invading Mars, which seems kind of weird because we just landed there. So are they invading or are we invading and they're pushing? I don't know. We'll see what the book says who got there first. But nonetheless, so someone gets to play the aliens, which is pretty cool because they have these really great like alien spooky little miniatures. Well, they're wood. They're wood little meeple kind of things. But you get your own player board and all of the different stuff that comes along with that, all the technologies and things. So you get to play as the alien, which I love that. And it's one versus many, which again, I love that because you don't get to play that a lot in board games, especially Euro games. So that is fantastic. Designers, you need to do a lot more of that. That's a lot of fun, especially for like, I mean, imagine a game night or imagine any game night where you're trying to teach a game. It's always challenging because you are one of the players. But if you are the one versus the many, you could tell them what they need to do, almost like a DM, and then run the game because you're the one versus many there. So yeah, I love this invasion part, you know, messing with the players throughout the game. Fantastic. The second module here, chapter two, is about an outbreak. You probably have heard of outbreaks. <laughs> Too soon. Maybe you've heard of one. So there's one on Mars. It doesn't say necessarily there's anything with the aliens involved with this, but I'm guessing that's part of it. But this is a co-op. So instead of the normal competitive to On Mars, this is a co-op. Chapter three is Blackout. Now, this kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, I'm trying to think what was, Anthony, what's the best one that would fit this where those like broken stuff that you have to run around the ship and fix it? Oh, like the captain is dead or something? The or captain is dead. I, I think I think probably fits best for this. Um, if you're playing, if you're not a big board gamer, again, awesome that you're here on the podcast. But if you're a video game person, like Among Us, yeah, yeah. right. So that's also like the captain's dead's the perfect example. That's what I was looking for. But Among Us also fits very well here too. I don't know if there's any aliens involved in this, but if they're not, I'm going to be disappointed because this is honestly the perfect time to have like an alien infiltrator. Finally, there's chapter four, which is the monolith, I guess, from 2001. Uh, this is a solo or a group co-op version of the game. So basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to hit uh, four out of five unique goals in just 15 rounds. So this is the one when you've played on Mars enough that you can really just kind of cycle through the game really short and fast and knock it out. So right. that's pretty much it. You can purchase the base game, which is currently up there. The expansion costs $49. Uh, there is an additional $6 if you want wood tokens versus <laughs> uh, cardboard tokens. And I was really kind of pissed off about that, to be honest with you, because it was like, it's not like you're switching all the car. It just, it made no sense. It just made no sense. I'm paying for it, but I'm not happy about it. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm resentful about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. It's, I mean, you're back, you're back in this, right, Anthony? Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. backer number twenty-five or something. Yeah, I'm all over this. All right, but did you back the wooden tokens? Yeah, yeah, you have to, because all it is is them trying to keep the price down and realizing that they can't keep it under fifty dollars with those in the box. So they're like, oh, we'll separate it out. Which 
makes financial sense if you think about it from the business side. But as a consumer, you're like, man, that's annoying. <laughs> like, but it's also funny, too, because it's the weirdest thing to pull out of the box. Because those tokens, like the wooden version of it is not essential to the game. It's not like you're, like, if you made the aliens, like, you know, cardboard chits, and then made the game cheaper, and then said, hey, would you want, you know, wooden meeple aliens? Yeah, I want. And then, like, that would make a little more sense. But these are just, like... You just flip the token over. That's basically it. It doesn't really. It's weird because there's other cardboard in the game. If there was, a, if there wasn't, it just it's it feels arbitrary. But what you're saying, Anthony, is probably a thousand percent right. Which is just like that was that was the item that kept it at forty nine dollars. So that was the item they pulled out and said, "Hey, this is a separate thing." Um, I don't know. That's that's the Co- thing. I guess costs are tight right now. You know, they're they're trying to produce this. During all the supply chain nonsense, so I guess who knows? I don't know. Um, I think the yeah, aliens I'm, are I'm, messing with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited for this though because Vital Lacerda, he hasn't done a lot of co-op stuff, but the one thing that he has done, which I played actually a few times recently, is a CO2 Second Edition, Second Chance, um, which comes with a co-op mode. Right, that was like one of the updates to the game. And it's really good. I know some people don't like it as much as a competitive mode to that game, but I think it's fantastic and it works really well solo. So mm-hmm. seeing four different co-op-ish modules here, I'm like, I am super excited to see what he does with that. Because <laughs> I'm not even a huge co-op guy, but if you make it heavy enough, like Spirit Island or you know CO2 or something like that, I'm 100% on board because it's just this crazy, ridiculous puzzle you have to figure out and you lose half the time. And it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a really cool challenge. Awesome. All right, so uh, that's all the games that we want at our table. Let's talk about the games that did hit our table, and we'll let people know if those games are a buy. You should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge, and you should avoid them. Or if those games are the dreaded burn, because they are way too expensive, and they're too expensive to ship, so just leave them where they are, my friend. So what do you have up for us this week? All right, so I finally got a chance to play Concordia Venus. Uh, this mm-hmm. game came out way back in 2018. Um, I think maybe 2019 here in the U.S., but it's been out for a while, and I've just always missed it the, when the groups come up together to play it because it's a team-based game, so you need the right people playing and the right coordination uh, you know, to actually make it happen, right? Um, so I played this at uh, a going-away party that my friends here in Pittsburgh threw, so thank you to everybody who is listening right now because I know some of you do. Um, thank you so much for doing that. It was it was a blast and just a big surprise. So I didn't know it was coming. So it was like just kind of a, a really cool, um, you know, thing to do. It's bittersweet leaving the city. Uh, so getting to say goodbye to everybody was pretty awesome. And so we ended the night on Concordia Venus, which is very similar to Concordia. Like I thought it would change more of the game, but the things it does change are really good. So... I'm not going to run through all the base mechanics of Concordia, and it's not a particularly complicated game. Basically, you have a hand of cards. Each card gives you an action. You play the card, you take the action. And then when you run out of cards to play, or if you decide you want them back earlier, you play a certain card that lets you take the cards back into your hand. And that's it. You're trying to get you know, colonists out. You're trying to build buildings in different cities and produce goods with it. And you are basically... All the cards in your hand have scoring conditions on them. And so you're trying to meet those in various ways. You can buy new cards, of course, too. So it's like a deck builder run deli kind of area control-ish type of resource production game. But at the end of the day, it's a Mac game. It feels like one. It plays like one. It's amazing. 
and there's a ton of maps for it. So he's done a bunch of expansions. We have Salsa. There's like eight or nine maps for it. And then there's Venus. And so Venus, what it adds to the game is two new maps. Cool. You know, got Hellas and Ionium, which is nice. Um, you get new cards with the new suit. So the Venus suit, which is a new way to score in the game. So if you're playing just normal with everybody else, it'll be based on having things in multiple cities uh, in the same areas. And if you're playing with teams, it'll be based on having buildings in the same section or area. I can't remember the exact terminology, but the same area of the map as your teammate, right? Um, as one of those scoring conditions. And so those are the two major changes. Then, of course, there's the team-based play variant, which is what we did. We played a full six players, so three on three, uh, or three teams of two, not three on three. <laughs> um, and so what you do in this is when it's your turn, you have the pawn, you play a card, you take your action, and then your teammate takes the same action as you, right? So they get to follow that action. Um, and so you're always taking two turns together. So when it goes around the table of all six players, you get to take two actions there because then when it's your te teammate's turn, they take play a card, you follow that action. The exception would be if the, you play a card that has two action options on it, they'll take one, you take the other one. That's basically it. And so it really creates a lot of different ways of thinking about things because you're trying to like coordinate with each other from across the table. The game makes it pretty open how much you communicate with each other. Like you just decide at the beginning of the game how much communication to have as a table. There's like nothing in the rules about it. We decided open communication because two of the people had never played this particular version of it. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of crosstalk going on and we could hear other people's strategy, but it didn't really matter because we're focusing on our own. Uh, you can use each other's money, which is interesting. And you don't really have to ask. You just do it. Although generally we ask each other. <laughs> So, um, but it does a cool thing. Like one person could be like, all right, I'm just going to build this huge money engine. And you, you obviously still want to score points because the end of the game, you combine the scores and that's how you determine who wins. But you could just like, all right, I'm, I'm producing so much cloth. I'm just going to sell it. And look at all the cash I have. You use it and build everywhere, right? You've got like your five colonists spread out, build them all at once. Um, which we did not accomplish, but one of the teams was going for that when the game ended. We just bought out all the cards and ended the game. So, <laughs> and that's how you end the game. The cards get all bought or sure. somebody puts down all their buildings. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, like, a lot, actually. Like, I like Concordia. I've always liked it. If somebody brings it out, I will play it. I own all the stuff for it because that's what I do. I buy things. Um, but Venus in particular, I really liked because these team-based games don't always work the way you think they're going to, but this works, I think, just in a perfect way. The game is perfect for it. Because A, you're both doing something at the same time. You have to think through the order in which you want to do things. Like, I'll do this so that you can do that, and then you do this so I can do that, and then I'll do this so you can do that. And, like, you have to think multiple levels down about that, and then, like, what are the opponents doing? Because there are so many actions between yours because of the way it goes back and forth. And so... It's not, you know, like the normal game, you can have set paths or set strategies you might follow. In this, it's very different. It's very wide open. So I enjoyed it a lot. Definitely a buy. Like Concordia is already a buy, but this is definitely a buy. And uh, looking forward to doing it again. Um, there's two ways to buy it. You can get the expansion, which is if you have the original game, you can just buy the Venus expansion, which I think is $40, which is kind of expensive, but not going to break the bank. 
Or you could buy just the Venus standalone, which comes with all the stuff you need to play the game. So if you don't own Concordia, you buy Concordia Venus, you have all the stuff plus the other stuff. And that's like 80, which is crazy. But I don't know. If you don't have anything and this is all you want, there you go. Uh, so yeah, Concordia Venus, amazing game. Highly recommend it. I had a blast. Yeah, I reviewed this on episode 190, and my group is a huge Concordia group. I mean, so much so that I love the game, but I've still not purchased it because that's the game I played probably more than any game back to back. And again, it's interesting. Venus should not work, right? Because the basic mechanics are that everyone's building. So regardless of who you are, whose team you are, you're building. And when you build, it makes it so much more expensive for the next player to build there. So it's weird. It's a weird kind of concept to think that you would be in a team situation. And when I got a chance to play it, what was interesting about it was uh, we went the opposite way, Anthony. We didn't have any communication and we had to figure out what our plan was generally. And three different, you know, three, six players, uh, three different groups had all different strategies. So, mm. and that was a lot of fun. And then when we played it again and again and again, different strategies kind of arose based on the situation and then it really just came down to like one or two just like you didn't do you could have done this and that would have been all the difference in the world so and it's just it's really a fantastic game i again the idea that they bring in this this kind of expansion that changes the game radically and and really produces a different type of experience that does not break the game does not make it look silly does not require like all these extra pieces or rules and stuff like that. It's just, it really is an accomplishment. It's a serious design concept accomplishment that I haven't seen in really many expansions at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me really excited for the solo mode that he's making right now. Solitaria. Because at first I was like, Oh, they're making a solo mode for Concordia. That'll be fun. And then having played Venus, I'm like, Oh, this will be really cool, I think. Because he really like he really thought through like how this would work and kind of the flow of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean the game obviously lends itself well to doing that because you, again you don't change that many rules to do it with the teams. It just works. Like it just works. It like kind of stumbled into it. Like it works somehow. I don't know um, how it works. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. But yeah, Solitaria is coming out this year too. So you know play Venus however you want, on teams with like one to six people doesn't matter. Multiple tables because you got all the maps. Great. Concordia for days. I, and I think actually Concordia is coming out digitally too. I think that was an announcement not too long ago. So you can even play digitally. Man, everywhere. Concordia for days. I think, I mean, he, Matt Gertz does so many tremendous games. I think that's one of his best. I, I just, yeah, it's so hard to, it's just, again, it's, it's that kind of common joke trading them in the Mediterranean that should be bad and boring and stupid, but it just, it works. It's so dangerously challenging for yourself and then competitive for other players. It does so many crazy things. And it looks beautiful. It's a really nice looking game too. And like you said, multiple maps, the expansion salsa, if you want to bring salt into the mix, uh, you know, that, that has a 50, 50 kind of thing in some cases, but otherwise, yeah, great game. All right, so that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about Board Game Geeks' super hot list for 2021. We're talking about the games that you're going to want to get to the table. And of course, we talk to our guru, Anthony, who's going to go through the top list 
let you know why those games are there and if there's anything unique or sizzling this coming summer. So, Anthony, what do you have for us? All right. Yeah. So uh, how we do this, we run down from 15 to one on the board game geek hotness. And Mm -hmm. I either share with you all why it's on the list or we speculate wildly because I can't figure (laughs) out why it's on the list. Uh, ah, often, yeah, you do. Ah, you with fine. us. And there's going to be a few of these that are just here every month. And so we might skip past them a little bit because how many times can you talk about number 15 on the list? Gloomhaven. So, yep. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Gloomhaven's obviously always on the list. It's number one on Board Game Geek. People are on that forum constantly. So they're constantly talking about it. So it's constantly on the hotness. Yeah. Other than Frosthaven in development and Jaws of the Lion recently getting, you know, the Dice Tower Award, which we were informed actually, because we talked about this last week, we didn't really mention it. That was a committee award because they didn't want it to be eligible for the other categories. So uh, that's why it won that best rule writing or best Mm -hmm. rules teaching, I think, award, Um, which makes sense. That Bloomhaven teaches the rules really well. So, anywho, base game is at 15. It's almost always up here somewhere. Very cool. For, 14, uh, another just everyday game, always on the top uh, list here is Terraforming Mars. Sure. Um, not a lot of new content. I don't believe they've announced any new expansions or anything for this yet, but obviously, you know, we had the big box recently released. We had Ares Expedition recently released in Target, um, and that, you know, shipping hopefully later this year for everybody on the Kickstarter side, and just a huge, huge community of fans of this game. So... Uh, that's Terraforming Mars. Number 13, Marvel Champions, the card game. This is a living card game. So new content every month from Fantasy Flight. So of course, it's always on the list. Most recent release was Venom, the hero pack. So we don't have Venom as a enemy in the game yet, but we do have <laughs> them as, in a hero pack. So maybe eventually we get a Spider-Man expansion. We get Venom will come in as a, an enemy as well. Um, next month, we get the big Thanos deluxe expansion though so the we're gonna get the infinity stones and, and the gauntlet in the game which is pretty cool uh looking forward to that uh next up we have Tetuacan expansion period i was trying to figure out why this jumped into the hotness because this released i think about a month or two ago like it, it's been out for a little while it didn't just release and like all the reviews and most of the comments from two to three months ago so I, I I don't know. If you all know, let me know. Because uh, <laughs> it is an expansion for a highly ranked game. So, of course, people will be talking about it. But all the way up in the hotness, I'm not sure why. Next up, we got Spirit Island. This is another perennial uh, favorite. It's, uh, I don't know, just a very good game. People play it a lot. <laughs> um, they did just recently announce for the app as well um, in Steam. So we discussed this at length and how... It doesn't have multiplayer, which is ridiculous for a co-op game. And they are finally going to build that into the game. So their announcement is that they are building it. It has not been built. You can't do it yet. But the kind of Steam cast thing that they were like told you to do before, which did not work because we tried, um, that that's not sufficient. So we're going to get a real multiplayer, finally. you know. And the solo version of that is great in the app if you want to play it. But being able to play with your friends online, which would be amazing. Uh, next up, we have Meadow. This is from Rebel Studio. Uh, this is a medium, lightweight uh, family game. Um, card drafting, 
kind of we got all these cute little watercolory type of you know animals on the cards um it i don't know a lot about it it's from the designer of dream home so if you played that one it came out i think three or four years ago it's kind of cute uh it is recently announced one to four players so it's going to be kind of definitely in that you know light medium weight range with cute animals which seems to be a whole genre unto itself of late Uh, Next up on the list, we have Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. This is Cole Worley's new game from Leader Games. It shipped to backers about a month and a half ago. uh, and So I have my copy. And I think it's hitting retail pretty soon. I saw the pre-orders generally around. um, Super expensive if you haven't checked yet. (laughs) So (laughs) if you didn't back the Kickstarter, you'll be spending some pretty penny to get this one. Um, I did get my first play of it in yesterday, actually. And the fact that I did not talk about it on this week's episode should tell you all you need to know about the complexity of this game. I need to play it many more times before I can review it. <laughs> um, it was a bit of a journey uh, learning this one. So it is complicated. It is a little different, but it, you can see the DNA of like Pax Pamir in there. Some similarities to that. Um, not a ton of similarities to Root. I'll, I'll be honest. It didn't really, there's some of the combat elements maybe, Um and you do take all of your actions on your turn, and then it goes to the next player's turn. So similar to Root. But it's got a lot of different things that I haven't really seen before in this type of game. So I really want to dive in and play more of it. It's you know unfortunate that it came right at the beginning of a move. So um, I have to Chris will have to track down two more people and drag them down. I get to play this five times. <laughs> uh all right, next up we've got Chronicles of Drunagor, Age of Darkness. So you guessed it, big box and miniatures on Kickstarter. Uh, this is a game that was on Kickstarter before. Um, did fairly well. I think it's back on Kickstarter. They're like relaunching. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a cooperative, dice-rolling, modular, dungeon-crawl game with big miniatures. So I'm sure there are unique mechanics in here. I'm sure there's lots of stuff that make it different. Uh, the people who own it like it a lot. It's rated 9.1. So a lot of, you know, excitement around this game. Um, you know, now that people are starting to get it into their hands, but at the same time, I, I just don't have the energy to like, there's so many of these and they're so expensive, like $300, you know, good on y'all. If you have a copy and I meet up with you, I will gladly sit down and check it out. Mm-hmm. Next up, we got Lost Ruins of Arnak, um, one of the best games of last year, uh, in our humble opinion. Uh, expansion recently announced, so that's coming sometime later this year, uh, probably around Essence Spiel. And solo mode's amazing. That campaign, if you haven't tried it yet, you definitely should. It's free. There's an app for it, so you don't even have to print anything if you don't feel like it. So just an amazing, amazing game. Highly recommended. Dune Imperium has been up on this list now for a little while. It is very popular. It's jumped up in the top 100 to number 42, which it's, it's a decent game, but that's 42, man. That's, that's way up there. Um, there's also an expansion that's been announced for this as well. So it kind of rekindled the buzz around it. Also, we're finally getting close to the release of that movie. So um, I think they pushed it back again, but only by a few weeks. So just, three, four months and we'll be able to see the movie and hopefully it's good. And the whole Dune megasphere and all these media around it will continue. Uh, 
next up at number five, we've got Imperium Classics. So this is from uh, Nigel Buckle and David Turchi from Osprey Games. There's actually two games in this series. So we've got Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. Same game mechanically, but they each come with different factions you can use, which are mechanically very different because the factions are all crazy asymmetrical. Um, but these are card game civilization games, and people are just all about it. They're losing their minds over these games. Um, they are they are best at one to two, apparently. So I have not played it myself. I do have a copy of Legends. I just haven't gotten it to the table. Um, but very excited to play it just because I love Civ games. I love card games and I love asymmetry. And I know it's going to be fiddly because of the amount of stuff on the cards, but it looks really cool. Uh, number four is Micro Macro. This is the winner of the Spiel of CR this year. So I guess we didn't talk about that at the top of the show. Um, the Spiel Awards were announced this week on Monday. And Micro Macro Crime City won for the Spiel of CRs. Um, I'm not surprised at all. If you asked me to guess which game was going to win, I probably would have said this. Having played it now, it's fine. But it's more of an activity than it is like a game. It's it's. It's in the same vein of like an exit or any of those unlocks or something like that. It's disposable. Once you're done with it, you're done with it. It moves on. And it's kind of a group activity more than like a game. There's not really rules to it. But that said, we had a lot of fun doing it. So I, I don't have a problem with it. It's a cool thing. Um, number three is Descent Legends of the Dark. So this is the third edition relaunch, mega expensive, mega large version of Descent coming from Fantasy Flight later this year. Um, so there's a couple of reasons that this one's up here, I think. One, we've got a lot of content coming out from Fantasy Flight. They're releasing like, you know, some gameplay stuff, some discussions of what's in the box, kind of previewing what you're going to get. And then we have this kind of meta thing going on where people are leaving ones and tens on the reviews. Um, which happens a lot, but this game, like, I'm not even aware of what the controversy is other than people are annoyed about either the price or the fact that it's changing some of the stuff from Descent too much. I don't know, but it's got a 5.2 on Board Game Geek right now with like 187 ratings. Game's not out yet, so maybe everybody just stop doing that. That'd be great. <laughs> stop, stop ruining the rating system. Um, Number two, Alien Fate of Nostromo. Uh, this is from Scott Rogers and Robinsberger. So we have a new Alien game. It's cooperative, action point based, presumably very light because it's like one of those Robinsberger games that's probably going to end up in Target. And it looks cool. I mean, these IP based games that Robinsberger puts out, you know, they're kind of up there almost with Prospero Hall and being able to put out halfway decent IP based games for the mass market. And they're typically pretty inexpensive and accessible. Um, they're not all amazing. Like the Jurassic Park game was fine. I didn't love it, but I kept it. Um, so the Alien game, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what it what it does because anything else Alien has either failed or been really expensive. So, and number one, uh, the winner of the Kenner Spiel is Paleo. So this is a cooperative game about a Stone Age tribe working together to hunt stuff, stay alive, develop new technologies. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit at one point. I personally have not played it. I haven't had a chance to get sit down and, and play this one at all. But um, 
it's it's one of the ones on that list that's gotten to the table in the U.S. in general. So I know a lot of people have had a chance to touch on it. I, I am disappointed Arnak did, didn't win here. I Again, I think one of the best games of the year last year. But um, from all accounts, Paleo is a good game. <laughs> from, eh. Not from our accounts, apparently. Eh. It's yeah. just light. It's just light. We're just getting all these, you know, it's it's spiel. It's what you get. Like their gamer uh, games are light games for us. Yeah, I don't know. There's other things, but all right. Well, at least it was it was an honor to be nominated, I, I guess, as we could say for the ruins there. And again, it's great that it's up there because it's a good game. So, um, yeah, I think we always expect that. But it's uh, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll have a heavy award. But uh, up until then, we are your heavy award radio station, so to speak. So we will we will rate the heavies and we will let you know uh, which ones to hit the table. Worth your time, worth your money, and of course, worth the shipping cost these days. So, all right. So that's everything for this time, my dear friends. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye.